Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, Blue. You A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more from deep inside the Man Cave. Your host, Elias. Mark, uh, welcome to the cave. Thanks, good to be here. Well, what's going on with you, man, and what's new? Things are going well. Just uh, watched another podcast on uh, YouTube, Andy Dick on Tiger Belly. Have you have you seen or heard of this oh, nightmare? Yeah. I have, yes. I mean, it, it happened yesterday. A guy bought coke mid... <laughs> not a pointing finger at someone else. Bought cocaine mid-podcast. Have you had someone do that yet? No, no, not at all. No, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so, um, I want you know. Obviously, I know you're you're in the stand-up comedy world, and we'll talk about that. But I want the listeners to get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, where are you originally from? From upstate New York. Born in uh in Albany. Uh, how how was it growing up there? Uh, isolated, small city. I mean, when you grow up there, you don't know how small it is. Then you move away. You go, oh, I'm from a small city. You know, it's like it's like a city kind of surrounded by the forest. Okay. It's like medieval times. <laughs> so, so what did you enjoy doing uh, growing up in uh, in Albany, New York? Oh God, I mean, what do you do? Really? Okay, so it's it's you're dealing with eight months of winter. You know, then if it's summer, you get like thirty good days. So I spent most of my time dreaming of good weather. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I'm from Massachusetts, so I know all about the winters. Yeah, totally. I mean, growing up, I mean, it's like you're in the house a lot. So, I mean, you know, your typical, you know, growing up in the '80s thing, playing Nintendo, going to the rich kid's house to play Duck Hunt, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you just brought my whole childhood up. You're absolutely right. I remember, yeah. I remember going. I remember going down because I didn't have a Nintendo. I was. It was funny. My parents were always the ones that always buy the system, like. My friends love a Nintendo. Oh, I just got the Atari. I was always one. Yeah, you get the basic. Oh, exactly. I was always one behind. So I'd have to go to my friend's house to go play, like you said, Mario or Duck Hunt or uh, the Power Pad. Is that, is that what it was called? The Power Pad when you had the, on the Nintendo? Yeah, ex- oh, yeah, please. Didn't have that at all. No. But you know what? Those kids that had Duck Hunt, they grew up to be assholes. You know? <laughs> there you go. And then when I got the Nintendo, everybody else had a Sega or a Super Nintendo. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> 16-bit when that came out. Exactly. Uh, what were some of your favorite uh, games on the on the system, the Nintendo? The original Super Mario. I remember getting, um, was it called Mega Man? Or Mega the Man. One that came, I got, yeah, yeah, I, I got remember that. I remember I got that on Easter from my stepmom one year. I remember being like, wow, you're my real stepmom now. <laughs> there you go. Um, any uh, favorite cartoons or anything growing up, movies? You said you grew up in the '80s. I'm a huge yeah, '80s. Like, I'm a huge dude, '80s yeah, fan. I was a GI Joe, GI Joe kid. The Smurfs, um, what Gummy Bears, uh, Ducktales. Yeah, it's that era. That's but that, you know, if I had, if you, if you, if you, uh, you know, held a hot knife to my back, I'd pick GI Joe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've seen them all. So I mean, yeah, GI Joe was one of the best ones. I couldn't wait for it. I remember when it was on, like on USA Network and like. It would be on like an hour before you go to bed, and that's all I wanted to watch. I, mean, I was like, yep, I want to watch G.I. Joe before I go to bed. 
Absolutely. Your first romance was at uh, Flint and Lady J. <laughs> yeah, like, I, hope, I hope this couple works out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when did you realize that that you had the people that you had the power to make people laugh, and you wanted to get into the stand-up comedy world? Well, I definitely remember being funny. As like, I remember my mom even being like, when I was like, she's like, wow, you you know, I could make adults laugh for sure. And I remember her being like, you're actually funny. I was like, oh, thanks. Like, and I, you know. It just kind of came naturally. But I remember getting food poisoning at my friend's birthday party. And I was up late at night because everyone had fallen asleep, but I was still dealing with it. And uh, Sigh and Live was on. I had never seen it before because I wasn't allowed to stay up that late. And I remember, like, actively throwing up but also thinking, wow, these people are very funny. (laughs) Like, I remember not laughing but still absorbing it. Like, I'm going to watch this next week. And then I went up watching it every week. Who uh, who was the cast members back then when you started watching? Do you remember? Uh, this was God. This was the mid '80s. So uh, I, mean, I don't think he wasn't obviously a, a cast member, but I remember seeing Steve Martin. Okay. Um, with Wild and Crazy Guys. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, and Dad. I don't know if I was watching a rerun because it was so long ago, or if it was an actual live episode. But I remember seeing that, and I remember seeing. Um, God, yeah, I want to say Martin Short was on it, but was he ever an actual cast member? I don't think he was. I don't think it was. I think you know, it, I think it was like when when the beginning of SNL would be at the end of like the intro would be like and also Martin Short or something like that because he did the Ed Grimley. Yeah, I felt like I felt like Steve Martin and Martin Short appeared on the same episode, but I could just be combining episodes. You know, I was like seven years old at the time, so yeah. well, yeah. I because uh, then, then it became kind of a weekly staple, and I got my remember I get my brother into it by telling my brother like, oh, there's this this really funny show I saw last night, and then we wound up watching it every week. And then, do you remember that there was a show? I was just trying to find it and see. There was a stand-up comedy show. I think it was on Friday nights, actually. It was every Friday night. And it was hosted by that guy with, with like, brown hair. He was on. He was the host. And then it had, like, regular recurring um, comedians, like the amazing Jonathan and Dennis Wolfberg, who actually wound up dying. Uh, but I remember he was a teacher. Do, do, you, do, you, do you remember Dennis Wolfberg? No, no, I don't. But I don't remember that show either. And I, I know who John, uh, Amazing Jonathan is, but... I don't remember that show. Yeah, they there was a, a regular stand-up show. It was either on Friday nights or it was on Saturday nights before Silent Live. And it was every week. And it was like uh, a half hour. And it had like a lot of – it was just stand-up comedy. Okay. But it had a lot of recurring people, so you really got to know people. Okay. Um, it was kind, on for kind, like kind of like a, a premium blend type of thing. It was like a premium blend, but it was on like um, a regular channel like CBS or NBC. Okay. And then it was obviously – it was it was censored. It wasn't cable. But um, – but I remember just kind of watching that and then falling in love with stand-up comedy in general and then also certain comics. Yeah. Who were some of your favorite uh, comics growing up? Uh, growing up, that guy Dennis Wolfberg stands out. I haven't seen him in a while. I'm going to YouTube some of his clips actually later on because I haven't seen him in a while. But uh, uh, him and then growing up, let me see. Uh, probably, you know, Richard Pryor. My first comic that I idolized was Dice. I remember having a videotape. <laughs> bring it on. Everybody, everybody, I think, had the tape. I got in trouble playing that yeah. tape. <laughs> but I'm talking like the VCR tape, too. I remember popping it in and uh, being like, asked my dad, like, Dad, I want to watch this. And he's like, okay, well, let's watch it. I remember him looking at me like halfway through, like, oh, my God, he's laughing at this stuff. I can remember his, like, should he be watching this or should he not? You know, is he the age? And, but my parents were divorced, so my dad pretty much let me do what I wanted to do in that, like, we were a guy's house, <laughs> you know, it was like, 
my mom was staying at her own apartment on the weekends. We'd go see her. So, you know, I think comedy is a good way for kind of like to introduce kids to uncensored language, even though I was probably now at this point 11. Yeah. So I knew what Dice was talking about, even though I was still, you know, an innocent kid and like never had, not that Dice talked about drinking, but, you know, I hadn't even had a drink yet, and, you know, but I could, I could get the gist of what he was saying, especially yeah. like, you know, the poems and the swear words. And, you know, it, I think that's kind of spoke volumes to a preteen, you know? Yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember, I remember when I was young too, uh, somebody gave me the tapes from school. They're like, oh, you should go home and listen to this. And I remember I bring him like, had a little boombox. I brought it outside my backyard, and my friend, he lived next door. Oh, yeah. to me, next, lived next door to me. Comes over. We start listening to it, and all of a sudden, I don't know if we we must have had it too loud or something. His dad heard it. Came right there, grabbed those tapes away from us. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So what age were you then? I want to say it was like twelve or thirteen, also around there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's some dads that were cool with it, and some that weren't. You know, luckily. You know, my dad was cool with it. And I understand if, if your dad wasn't, too. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Where he's just like, the, uh, you know, my dad is, is a butcher, working class guy, upstate New York. Um, he, uh, you know, uncensored language was kind of uh, not now, a problem. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably heard swear words all day long. Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and you went to, wait, you, okay, so you became a teacher, how did you decide? Yeah. How did decide? How did you decide you wanted to be a first grade teacher? Yeah, is this an uncensored podcast, by the way? Yeah, you can swear. It's not. I'll put a thing. Out. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what to get. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, because you know, so I um, I uh, I just uh, always, I guess, just kind of always wanted to teach. I mean, I I graduated high school, then I went to um, college at the University of North Carolina, then I moved to San Diego, and I started stand up about six months later and I was doing stand up for about two years. And then I was like, you know, I should, you know, I would always had in the back of my mind that I'd like teaching. So then I went back to graduate school and, uh, got my degree in education and wound up teaching in San Diego for about seven years. I substitute taught for three and a half and then I taught for uh, regular for three and a half. Wow. Um, so just kind of like was just wanted, you know, I wouldn't describe it as a backup plan cause I never stopped doing stand up, but knew that, Hey, this is going to take a while. I should be making some money. Also, I just like kids. So it was uh, like I did first grade reading recovery, which is like it's a fully credentialed teaching thing. But you teach kids, um, like most of them brand new to, to the United States, just how to read and write English. Okay. And so that was really rewarding, you know? Yeah. So that's interesting. So while you were teaching, you were doing stand up at night too? Yeah. And I was still bartending. I, down in San Diego, I just worked like a madman too. I, I bartended, waited tables at a comedy club and then would perform on the weekends. Oh, nice. So, but when I first started, you know, there's a lot more comedy clubs now. Do you know what I'm saying? Which is great for the comedian side now. But back then, what you did is, you know, for the first year, I only performed every two weeks on Sunday because that's what you were allowed. I started the comedy store in La Jolla. And so, you know, there's an open mic scene, which it's a great place to start because in San Diego, comedy is like, you know, even now, it's not that saturated where the open mics are well attended. Like, you know, my first show, I probably performed in front of 45 people. Okay. Um, within five shows, I performed in front of, you know, a sold-out 200-person crowd. You know, not well, by the way. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't like, I killed this audience. That was, my, that was my next no. question, actually. How did it go the first time you, uh, you performed stand-up? Oh, my God. I mean, what a nightmare. I... I didn't, at first I didn't sleep for two days. So 
I didn't sleep on Friday night. I didn't sleep on Saturday night, and I performed on Sunday. Wow. I was that nervous. I could not fall asleep. I rented a hotel room at a condo lodge down in San Diego and practiced my act 400 times. I mean, I too many times. <laughs> and then uh, went there. By the way, not on drugs, didn't sleep, which was just like, it was that, it was that nerve-wracking. Then I went up, and I, I did well. I thought I'd be like Sam Kennison because I liked him too, so I screamed a lot. Um, and then I realized after just one time, I was like, this is not going to be my style. So then I just kind of, I, and then I really at that point, um, when I had started Seinfeld, who was still the man, but then he was really, this was like, you know, at the height of his show or his show was winding down, but at the height of his power. Um, and so I, um, a lot of people early on described me as like an angry Seinfeld. Hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I like, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan in the show also. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's uh, and still his latest Netflix special was amazing, and it's me. It's you know he just does so much good. Comedian in cars getting coffee is great. I mean you can. Oh yeah. I mean, it's hard to create almost a talk show that's evergreen because you know an evergreen show is obviously something you could watch. You could watch an episode of Comedians in Cars getting coffee from four years ago, and it's as good as the new one. Oh yeah. So I mean, what an eye for just making a show. It's so simple and it's it's so good. You know. Oh, yeah. It also benefits that he has so many great cars. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Oh, yeah, those are some amazing cars. And I think and some of the cars aren't even his. They just give it to him so he could drive it on the show. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. yeah. He probably borrows it from Jay Leno. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jay Leno's executive producer. Oh, I assume. Um, do you uh, – so tell the listeners, like, uh, what your act is about and uh, how do you come up with the material? I would say that I mostly, mostly do social satire. So, you know, just, like, pointing out things I see in society. I've been trying to talk about myself more um, lately. Okay. I, um, last year I gave up drinking, so I talked about that. That took a little while to kind of get my head around, um, you know, is this something I want to put out there? You know, that's a lot of pressure. So I talk about that a lot now. And then, um, but mostly I still do social satire, which is pointing out things in society that I either find funny or that I don't like. Um, I used to do a lot of politics. I don't anymore. Okay. Um, it's just, it's just, too, just too dark. But uh, my early stuff was kind of... Uh, dominated by politics because I was a history major and uh, that was like the start of the Gulf War which is not something we necessarily need to go over but it was just like I was just angry about that and then I go okay even though I'm not a fan of Trump I go, I'm not gonna this guy's not gonna make it into my act yeah. because the crowd doesn't want it either I mean you're not changing you know I thought early on like I'll be changing people's minds and then it was like oh no you know a quarter of the crowd doesn't like what I'm saying and, I, and it's not that I, I, I'm gonna people please but I don't want to. I don't want to get another argument outside of a comedy club about the Republican establishment. You know, I'm trying to have a good time yeah. too. You know. Yeah. yeah, and it's true. You know, like time some, and place, basically. Like you know, I've been to. You know, I, when I get a chance, you know, me and my wife, we go out to comedy clubs and stuff like that. And it's like, you just some people just get like they, oh, they don't want to hear about it anymore. It's like they just get. I think they just get sick of listening about politics. Uh, yeah, exactly. I go to CNN.com for that now. Exactly. And I love Bill Maher's show. I, I go to Bill Maher's show. I'm friends with one of the writers. I love going backstage. I love being a part of it. I watch, uh, you know, every bit of politics I can still find. I'm outraged by what I see. But I don't want it to make it into my act. You know, it's just like, I just don't right now. Yeah. And probably, probably never will again, because at the end, well, that's like a couple of years doing stand-up uh, doing stand when politics was in my act. I just kind of wasn't enjoying it myself. Yeah, I'd get a big reaction sometimes. Like applause, you get a lot of good applause breaks, but then I just uh, 
<laughs> I, uh, it's also kind of easy for me now, too, just to kind of like comb through the news, see a story I don't like, come up with a pun- couple punchlines. It kind of became old hat. Although I'd like to write for someone else who does it. That makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you... Like if I could write real yeah. time with Bill Maher, I would in a second, but I just, not for my own act. Yeah. Have you, like, when you've been on stage, have you ever said a joke and you're like, oh, man, I should have never said that? Like, do you regret yeah. it later? Yeah, and usually if it's something kind of self, uh, is it grandizing a word? Something that where I talk about myself in a way that I come across as arrogant. That's not that often, but every once in a while you say something, you say it, and I get go, oh, I didn't want to say that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't want these people to think I think these great things about myself. You know, I don't think anyone, any, anyone would count. Huh? No. Like, it, do you do stand up too? No, no. I thought about it years okay. ago. Years ago, I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to really get into it. Like that was one of my passions, and this is part of the reason I started a podcast too. And yeah. I wanted to interview comedians and everything, but now my podcast has branched out to where I get actors on here, actresses also, and right. and fellow comedians. Oh. And I wanted to try it, but it's just, yeah. just, I think everybody wants to try, it and it's like it's that fear, like you said. I don't know. No, not many people are natural at it. I was not. I would say I after three or four years, I was watchable. And then after seven years, I was good. So you have to, like, anyone who wants to start it, I say, you know, like, I don't have a lot of advice for you, but you have to get into it with the mindset that you're going to do it for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you will quit. Yeah. Because I don't, like, like I, have, no, I, I have some people that are friends in the area and they do stand up comedy. There's even a teacher that does stand up comedy and she does it on the weekends and at nights while she teaches during the day. Yeah, yeah, that's what I used to do. Yeah. So have you ever uh, um, been heckled? You ever had to deal with that? Yeah, I love that. That's like, yeah. <laughs> and I do a lot of, I do a lot of crowd work. So my act is a mix of like social satire and then talking to the crowd. So yeah, that's, that's most, and if you go to my YouTube page, which is, um, if you go to markscomedy.com, you can go to my YouTube page. I have a bunch of clips um, doing crowd work. Uh, but yeah, that's why, and that's what I, that's probably what I enjoy doing the most because you get kind of bored delivering your jokes. And then I, I kind of like the chaos of, you know, uh, fucking with the crowd essentially do you uh so like every t- every time you're on stage you're like are you hoping you get a heckler because you like yes. deal with yeah that's interesting yes most of the time they're like... making sense as long as there's as long as their sentences are making sense i can work with it because yeah. some hecklers like you'll be talking about something and there's and they, they've been planning all day how they're gonna heckle <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm saying and then they get to it to the moment and they get nervous and they're just like you know the roses are green outside and bushes are yellow. And you're just like, what? I can't, I, like, what is, you know, you're not, I have nothing to work with there. Yeah. But if you, if you make fun of me from the crowd, I don't really care. Because yeah. I, I like, I like the chaos of it. It makes it, it makes it exciting. And the crowd likes that now, you know. With YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, everyone likes attention a lot more than they used to. So when you, when you, you know, when you fuck with the crowd, they, uh, they really kind of tune in, you know. Yeah, there's a recent video that I watched. Uh, you know the comedian Drew Lynch. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, have you seen the the YouTube video where he goes off on a lady that's sitting in the front row because all she was doing was texting on her phone and. Oh, I haven't seen it, but oh, I've heard about oh it. Oh my god, yeah. he just like, he's like, I hate you, I love you, but I hate you, and he's like, he's going off on her like, why, why did you need to be on your phone while I'm performing texting, and and. The, like, the lady pretty much was like, oh, I just came here with my friend. 
Yeah. You know, you know it was like just a, it was like it must have been like a seven minute rant with Drew Lynch on her. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that kid's a great comic. He is. I had him on the podcast. Yeah, he's a real funny, really nice guy. He's just, he's just, he's probably one of the guys, you know, he doesn't like to deal with hecklers, I guess. He doesn't, yeah, see, I do. I uh, I was listening to two other comedians, Pete Holmes and Bretters, talk on oh, podcast because yeah. I have this ability to, like, you know, one of the things I do well is I can say pretty much anything to an audience member. Like I've, I, and they don't take it personally. I was like, God, why am I doing this? I go, I should do, I should be getting beat up at least once a week. And uh, they go, Brett goes, it, it stuck with me. He goes, you know, the crowd can always tell when you're coming from the right place. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't feel like, like, actual animosity towards very many people, especially anyone in the crowd. I mean, you, you have to create station pretty screwed up things to me to get me actually pissed off so they, they know that i'm just screwing around yeah. and so um and if, if if internally i'm not taking it personally then the crowd won't be taking personally what i say to them including some of the most ferocious things that i've ever thought or said you know it's just like they just they they, they know that i'm completely uh you know joking yeah. you said you mentioned pete holmes he's another guy that's hilarious yeah oh my god like he I mean, his podcast is great. They're long, but it's great. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, do you have a, another like what? Seinfeld? He just has an eye for like for like media, yeah. and different mediums. You know. Yeah, and he had that show on TBS for a while. It was like a half hour talk show skit. And- yeah, that wasn't the right forum for him. It just wasn't. That, that also everyone's dropping that format. That's not really the right format for anyone anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's just people, people don't like it. This is what they would have been told. And this kind of started in the green room the other day. Tony Hinchcliffe actually has a great podcast through this out there. And I thought it was a great line. He goes, no one's at the gym listening to your late night set. I was like, ah, oh, you're right. He goes, everyone's there listening to a podcast. So yeah, and it's how they get to know you now. So Pete, that just wasn't the right forum for Pete Holmes. It just wasn't the right forum for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. But st- people still try to do shows like that. Even on Comedy Central, like every other month, there's like a show similar. I like know, that. I know. It's just yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's not. You, I think you'll see that thing that, that kind of thing just disappear eventually. Yeah. So, out of all the places you perform, what's your favorite? Uh, like, what are some of your favorite clubs that you like performing in? The two clubs in LA, uh, the Hollywood Improv and the Comedy Store, and then I'm I'm doing Gotham in New York next week. Actually, if you're if you do this in a few weeks, I'll, the, I'll already have bets. But uh, I like the Hollywood Improv because the Hollywood Improv is, is um, where a lot of people that live in LA go. Yeah. And so it, that is a really difficult club to do. It took me a few, when I moved here, I had like nine years of comedy experience. But when I started performing there, I started bombing again for about two and a half years. And then now now I do really well on that stage. So that one because everyone in LA is a comedian, actor, writer, producer, musician, some yeah. type of artist, and they go to a lot of shows. So you got to come with something new to get a reaction out of them. And then the comedy store right now is just hot. I mean, it's just filled. Like, you know, comedy store, there's plenty of people that live in L.A. there, too, but comedy store gets a lot of people from out of town specifically go on a vacation. Like, hey, I'm going to L.A. You know, they hear it on the Joe Rogan podcast, how great it is. They go, you know what? I'm going to L.A. <clears throat> I'm seeing a comedy show. And those crowds are hot because... You know, at the improv, you do an hour and a half show and the crowd's ready to go home because they've seen a lot. The comedy store can handle a three-hour show. And if you go up at the third hour, 
you're doing as well as the first person who went up. Yeah. So it's nice to just go up and just kind of just level a room. Yeah. And it's crazy because I've heard about those clubs where, like, you could just be sitting there doing a set and all of a sudden you don't know, like, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld shows up, you know, or like Chris Rock and they just go on oh, stage. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's the... <laughs> and I work as a promoter, too, so yeah. on, my, uh, on my Instagram page, like, any of those collages you see with the different comedians and the different headliners, those are either my shows or a show that I help with. Um, uh, and so, yes, we, we have all kinds of pop-ins. Yeah. On my shows, I try to limit the actual pop-ins. Uh, we have all kinds of headliners. The pop-ins thing got kind of crazy for a while because now that comedy clubs are doing so well that you just ask the headliners, you go, can you not pop? Can you just just tell us you're coming, please? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because the comedians were fighting. Okay. And that stuff gets so ugly when two headliners are fighting in the bar about, not that that's that frequent, but the couple times a year it was happening was just like jarring and it was demoralizing. And so now on my show specifically, I just ask that the, the headliners either tell me they're coming or go up at the end. We had Daryl Hammond um, pop in at the end of a show I was doing at the comedy store like a month ago. Not my show, but a different one, and the crowd went nuts. And So yeah, the, the pop-ins are great. But now, yeah. now the comedy the comedy clubs uh, have kind of figured out like, oh, let's pay the headliners really well and let's just announce them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which was hard to figure out. That was a hard thing to figure out at one point. Like, you know, what's the correct price? And like, yeah. you know, it's it's just numbers so you can't figure it out. I thought the pop-ins were more like they're just, they're just coming in there because they want to try out new material so they're not really like getting paid for it. No, I think the crap, no, because that was a thing too because, okay. and that definitely was a concern with a lot of headliners and, you know, um, hey, if, if you announce me, they're going to be expecting a headline set. You go, well, not if there's seven comics. The crowd has kind of gotten now like, oh, this person I'm going to see um, is going to probably do 15 to 20 minutes and some of it's going to be new. And then the other comics on the show doing all their A-plus stuff. And so they kind of look at the amount of com- – if you look at the, the show and you see eight comics and five are famous, you know, you're going to see, you know, it's – it's a $30 ticket or 20 to $30 ticket to see some of the most famous people in the world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that, if that show is in orange County, the ticket would be $500. Wow. So it's like, if you want to drive up to LA and see a great show, the crowd knows now they've gotten trained and so, you know, with the internet and stuff, everyone's so savvy. Like they've gotten trained to know like, Hey, I'm not going to see, you know, so-and-so's, you know, it's not going to be all a plus material, but also like, you know, these headliners are headliners for a reason, so it's like, even their new stuff is great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, are those clubs, like, open every night? How does it work out there? Yeah, seven nights a week, yeah. Wow. Where are you located, by the way? I'm in Massachusetts, so in Western Mass, so, like, most of, the, most of the clubs here are open, like, they'll do, like, a Tuesday night open mic, then they'll, right. then they'll do usually, like, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes on a Sunday. And now we got a, now yeah. we got a new one, a new uh, comedy club in the area, too, part of the casino that they just opened here, and... They're starting to get big acts to come in too, but they also do like an open mic Tuesday, Wednesday type of thing, also. Yeah, Sunday nights. A, Sunday nights a great night for open mic too. I think clubs that aren't in big cities should just have their open mic on Sundays too, because that's like, you know, Sunday's a big night for move. You do a Sunday seven o'clock open mic seven to eight thirty. Yeah. I think it'd be well attended. You know, it's not going to sell out, but you could get fifty people in the seats. You know. Yeah, and if when I from I heard from like those comedians that I told you I know they. They said sometimes it's great. Other nights you go there to do the open mic, and it's like it's just comedians listening to other comedians. Just... Yeah, and that's one of those things too that can hurt people's timing. I, I got lucky. I got unlucky in some ways in that I started near LA but not in LA. 
So it took me a little while to get over um, that I was like the San Diego comic, the guy who was afraid to move to L.A., but I actually just had a teaching contract. And I probably moved to L.A. about two years. If I could do it all over again, I would have moved about two years earlier. Yeah. But I did luckily do the open mic. By the time I got to L.A., I was fairly established. I didn't have to, like, restart at the open mic scene. Because that can really hurt your confidence because you're doing shows for just comedians and they're not, you know, they're not going to necessarily laugh. They're they're thinking about their own, they're nervous about going on stage and they're thinking about their own act. So I got lucky that I started off performing in front of crowds and I was pretty confident pretty early on. That's great. That's great. So Yeah, and if I was to give someone advice who's, you know, thinking about starting in New York or in L.A., that's fine place, fine place to start. But then also leave town as much as possible, even if it's to do other open mics. You know, go do an open mic in Orange County. Go do an open mic in San Diego. If you're in New York, go do an open mic in Jersey that has, like, some audience members. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, like I said, like, those uh, friends that I have, they go to, uh, there's one, like, in Connecticut, which is, like, 30 minutes from here. They go to, like, the Hartford Funny Bone. They have one Tuesday nights, and then they'll drive right back to Massachusetts to go to the next one just to keep trying their material out. Yeah, totally. That's what you got to do. Yeah. You got to do anything, anything and everything early on. So uh, I got to know, how was it being on uh, Adam Devine's house party on Comedy Central? Yeah, that was great. That was filmed in New Orleans, obviously. Um, the sketch was awesome, especially to work with those guys. Cause they're the, it's the director and writers from Workaholics. So the sketch itself to me was was, it was hilarious. Yeah. Then I did my stand-up. And the stand-up, stand-up comedy performance on TV... You know, I was happy with my set, and then, but what happens on those is that it's an audience. The audience is lit, and there's cameras on them, and there's cameras facing them, and so the audience is like, ha 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 ha, like you can see it on their their faces, like <laughs> they're being filmed. They have to sign a release. It's not something you know they're used to too. That's one thing that um, that a lot of uh, stand up on TV hasn't mastered yet. Is uh, well, you know, does it really well, Jenny Kimmel, is to. Uh, to recreate a comedy club, yeah. you know, because yeah. the whole thing to have the, because you have to have TV lighting if you're going to get the crowd reaction, and you have to have cameras on the crowd, and you know, I I don't even know the cameras on me anymore, but that was definitely not always the case, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's just, now you have a few albums that are out too, right? Yeah, I have a few um, CDs on XM and Sirius Radio or on um, Sirius Radio, yeah. um, and uh, I haven't put one out in a while though because. But I'm I'm ready to release some new clips on this series, which uh, which is kind of a process. But uh, yeah, I've been writing a lot of new stuff lately that I want to put out there because also there's there's good money um, when you start getting spins. Yeah. So uh, do you uh, do you write for uh, any other? Like, do you try to write for other shows, or how does that work? What's the process? No, I try to write my own show. I'm definitely trying to create my own script. Um, my writing partner is is uh, a kid named Adam Ray. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 I knew Adam Ray. Yeah. I, had, I had Brad Williams as partner from his podcast on. The podcast. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Great times with Brad too. But the uh, yeah, so I would say I would say if you want me to say that you know if I was to pick one comedian who's my writing partner, it's Adam. And we've been close to selling stuff uh, a few times, and um, we just keep you know because I think once you sell one thing, what I've heard that could be wrong um, is that you sell a few things. So we just have we've had you know we have three or four scripts right now ready to go, and we're about to finish. Um, uh, we're writing a movie right now, and, and we're, we're hoping. Um, that 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 works out because he has some pretty good people attached, so do, we're excited. Yeah. Do you um? Now do you write scripts for like skits or do you do? Are you trying to get, get sitcoms also? 
Uh, sitcoms, scripts, uh, uh, you know, and uh, this one that we're doing is, is a movie, though. We wrote a cartoon okay. also. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. So uh, do you have any other uh, future projects that you want to plug away? What's that? Do you have any future projects that you that you have coming up that you want to plug away? Uh, no, just um, when you hear this, I guess go to my website. I have a brand new website, markscomedy.com. Um, and uh, my tour dates are on there. And actually, I, I'm starting a new uh, website, which actually by the time this is launched, probably will be out. It's called thestandupscene.com, and it's about the stand-up scene. And so right now I have four interviews done, and once I get to seven, uh, I'm going to launch it. I want to do, like, album reviews, special reviews, um, features, interviews with comics. And I just want it to be about the stand-up scene in general because I feel like that's not being covered. Yeah. So by the time your listeners hear this, actually, I bet you thestandupscene.com will actually be live. That's great. Uh, how can uh, lastly, how can the listeners find you on social media? Uh, all the social media sites are uh, links are on the top of my website, which again is markscomedy.com. So m a r k s comedy.com. All right, Mark, this was fun. Thank you for coming on. You're a good man, man. Appreciate you.